So, the big question is this. How are pitching coaches like us, who aren't lazy and driven by our ego, who actually care about getting every player better, how do we coach in a way that lets us break free from the status quo, see things differently, and impact each one of our players for the better, all while changing the landscape of this game? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andy Powers, and welcome to the Pitching Secrets Podcast. Hey guys, Andy Powers here, and as I'm recording this one, I'm somewhere in West Texas, driving on my way to Dallas, headed for a two-day live event, the Pitching Coach Playbook. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a good one. And uh, so while I'm out here on the road and got a few uh, moments, a lot of moments actually, to think about this, uh, you know, just thought I'd record a few things, get a few thoughts down. So, uh, you know, one of the cool things that I enjoy about, you know, having, you know, longer trips, especially when I get to drive is, is, uh, it allows me to kind of get caught up on some of the different podcasts and things that, uh, you know, from, from people mainly in the business side of things and entrepreneurial side that, uh, uh, that I don't always, uh, get to get to listen to as much because, you know, I'm doing things myself. So, you know, basically been spending the last five hours on the road right now, just getting caught up on things. And there was a few things that struck me. I wanted to share them with you, but you know, listening to a lot of these guys, you know, of course it's always, you know, their, their primary focus or their angle is about their business. And this isn't a business, uh, you know, thing that I'm going to talk to you about, but I, I mean, I guess it could be for sure. Absolutely. But more importantly is that I think we could just substitute business for our teams and for our pitching staffs. And so one of the things that, uh, seemed to kind of be a recurring theme a lot on, on some of the the podcast that I was listening to here lately is, is culture and defining and building your culture. The thing is, is that you're going to have players every year that's going to have different personalities. They're going to have different strengths, different weaknesses, uh, different desires, different outcomes and goals. That's all fine. Uh, and obviously I think you could sit there and understand how we could easily translate the different kinds of players you have to different kinds of employees. So it's not a bad thing. In fact, diversity can help really make a team stronger because uh, it it does create a lot of different approaches potentially. The thing that's got to be key is the central figure mark, which is you. You are the leader of the ship. You're the captain. You set the tone. If you don't make it crystal clear for your players, their expectations that you have of them, they're going to be left to figure out or wonder what it is that you want from them. Or worse, potentially, is that they're going to be left on their own to just do what they want. And nobody wants that. Even the greatest kids in the world with the best of intentions can figure out a way to screw it up every once in a while. So it's got to be coming from you. And they have got to buy in. They've got to be on board. They have to be willing to follow and and get in line with with your expectations and demands. And if they don't, you got to get rid of them. Doesn't have to be anything personal. It's just not a good fit. It's not a good fit for you, and it's not a good fit for them. And you're actually doing yourself a favor, and you're doing them a favor by letting them go. Of course, you know, that could always be hard to do if you're dealing with parents and all that who want to complain and, and uh, you know, try to raise 
hell or something. But the bottom line is, is that you have a set of standards, you have a program, a culture that you're trying to create, and one bad apple is going to disrupt everything. Okay, I've been a part of it. It's happened to me. Uh, and, and the sooner that you can resolve it, the better. Now, if you can resolve it by just having a, a conversation with somebody and you know, laying it down and making it crystal clear their expectations and you're demanding them to, to change and to get in line with what they're trying to do, that can help solve a lot of things. But in the rare occasion that they, they just can't do it, won't do it, whatever, then you got to make that call. And that's not always the easiest call to do. But the other side of this is what is the culture that you want to create? So I'll give you a couple examples of the culture that I I created. And at, it, when I was pitching coach in college, uh, it became a little bit strange uh, because I made sure our pitching staff followed this this culture, uh, which wasn't always the same thing as the rest of the team. And I wasn't really a big fan of creating uh, separation between the two, you know, between the position players and the pitchers, but. You know, it's what happened. I don't think it was ever really a big issue. Uh, as far as I could tell, it never was much of an issue of what we did. But it was but it was just the standards that we were going to live by. And then, of course, when I was a head coach, the high school level, or in the travel team level, it was easy because then I could just call the shots and everybody had to conform. So some of the, the culture, I guess, that you want to wear or standards that uh, – that we lived by and that I, I implemented all the time was some of it was on the field and in practices and some of it was off the field. So a couple of off the field standard, just to give you some ideas. Whenever we were on the road, every time we went somewhere to eat, especially as a team, but the expectation level was also when you were on your own. Obviously for baseball players, it's very common for them to wear their hats everywhere. Well, every time we went somewhere to eat, when we actually went to eat, we entered the restaurant or got off the bus or out of the vans to go into a restaurant. No hats. We just left them on the bus or in the van. Worst case scenario is you just took it off and you hung it on your chair. I still do that personally this very day. I'll wear a hat, but every time I go to and have sit down to eat, even if it's at a McDonald's, I take my hat off. Okay, it's just to me it was just courtesy. It's what we did. It was a standard. So we didn't wear hats. Okay. No jewelry. Wasn't a fan of big, long uh, necklaces and chains and rings and earrings. Just weren't going to do it. Um, if we were on the road, uh, we were in a hotel. Then when we met, which we did every morning for team breakfast, uh, no flip-flops. You had to wear shoes. You had to wear closed toe shoes. I was just, if nothing else, it was just something personal for me. I don't want to be trying to eat my breakfast and uh, have a bunch of people barefooted or, or all that. And I know it happens, but it wasn't going to happen for my team. Um, you know, and then, so those were just a few of the, the, you know, culture examples, if you will. We, you know, we, when we did go out to eat, especially if we went to a nicer restaurant as a team, uh, we wore a collared shirt. Now they could have their shirt tucked in or untucked, but I wanted it to look nice. I wanted I, no, nothing sloppy. Okay, but it just kind of set set a standard. What happened is, from a mindset standpoint, it just set the tone of how we were going to carry ourselves, how we were going to conduct ourselves. Okay, now on the field, some of the other things that we had was uh, again a, a no jewelry rule for sure. When we were on the field, we we're just there's no jewelry going to have going to going to happen. And some people wanted to wear you know a religious necklace or something. Uh, they had to tuck it in. I didn't want to see it. 
and sometimes I had a lot of the support from the umpires too. They didn't want to see it either. But some of the other ones were is that we always wore our hats forward. Okay, I, I've had a saying, and all my players have, I've been with in the past know this saying very well, but I've always said that the direction your hat is facing is the direction your life is going. So let's make sure that you're headed in the right direction. So we always had our hats going forward. When we were in uniform, we wore our pants up. And we had, uh, we had uh, either, you know, sometimes we had full socks, soccer socks, if you will, or so. But if I had control of it, we were wearing stirrups. Um, and uh, so, but, but I thought that it was a clean look. It was kind of a classic traditional baseball look. And it's what I wanted to do. And that's what we did. And, and there was just no, no issues about that. Uh, no names on the back of their jersey, you know, and that was something that I've kind of learned from other great coaches, but there was the, kind of that philosophy of the name on your chest is a hell of a lot more important than the name on the back, and so we want to support that name. Uh, you know, there, there was just other things. We were always going to go hard. We were always going to uh, compete, and, and uh, we were clean-shaven. Okay, nobody had facial hair uh, when they played for me. We were always clean shaven. I, uh, I always that was just something that I always wanted to do, and it was actually about a year ago. I was with a uh, a legendary pitching coach, Jim Lawler, who's become a good friend of mine, and I was talking to Jim, and we were kind of talking about this very thing about the culture and you know kind of the philosophies we had of how we wanted to to build our team and our pitching staffs, and and we talked about the the no shave rule, and he thought. And, and Jim just absolutely destroyed me in the sense of he had the exact same rule. And his reasoning was unbelievable. And his reasoning, and I, and, and, and I want you, hopefully, you really understand and listen to this. But he, he said, let's take this scenario for an example. Let's say I got two pitchers. They're both six foot two, 180 pounds, right-handers. They both throw 85 miles an hour. And so, you know, for the most part, they're like physically and everything identical. One kid is clean shaven and one kid's got facial hair. He said, which kid do you think I'm interested in? And, uh, you know, of course I go with the guy that, you know, is clean shaven and he goes, do you know why? And that's the part I hadn't really thought about. I said, no, why, Jim? And he said, because the guy with facial hair looks like somebody who's already physically matured. Like that he's pretty much grown and he's, he is who he's going to be. The guy that's clean shaven still represents a body that might still be growing and developing. So if I can take a 6'2", 180-pound right-hander that's already at 85, and there's a chance he may grow another inch or two, put on some more weight, that velocity is going to maybe jump. But the guy with a beard is going to be the guy that tells me, I'm, you know, what I see is what I'm going to get here. This guy is going to be 6'2", 85-mile-an-hour thrower for the rest of his life. Now, I know and you know that that doesn't always work out, but I thought that the concept of it, the approach and philosophy was so amazing. Just it just blew me away. So we didn't have facial hair. We kept our hair clean cut. Okay? I didn't want all of the the wings and all that trash that so many kids do today, uh, flowing out of their the back or the sides of their hat. We all kept it short. Ultimately, a big part of it in the culture that we created is that one is is that yeah, it wasn't traditional. It wasn't what uh, traditional in the sense of you know what is accepted or what's normal nowadays. But what it was is that it did, ver- I mean, the, the, the kids knew that, well, I'd rather wear my pants with them hooked around the heels of my cleats, but they knew that 
the way they looked looked good. It looked clean. It looked classy. The way we handled and conducted ourselves, the way we never got off a bus to get onto the field without being in full uniform. We never got undressed in the dugout. We never did any of that crap. We picked up any cups and empty water bottles and everything that were in the dugouts every time we left, no matter what level we were at, high school, college, whatever. It was a standard. It was an expectation. And what the players realized, some of them did at least, was that if they didn't have to worry about how they looked, then all they got to do was focus on the other things that are more important, which was like how we played, how they executed their job. So I challenge you and encourage you to really think about your culture. What do you want? And when I've found that when you can take certain things out of the equation, such as the appearance, the way they carry or conduct themselves, and when you take that away from players so that they don't have to think about it or come up with their own stuff, and then they can just focus on other things like you know their development and how they play and conduct, you know, conduct themselves, you start to see a whole lot better team be created and developed. You start to see more of what you want. And if a guy just can't fall in line with that, he's got to go. And you are going to have to be willing to make that tough call. I'll tell you that I, I remember my, my first year as a head coach at the high school level. Um, and uh, the second game of the season, we were in a tournament in Dallas. And we had our star player, uh, Team USA, major Division One commit and all that. He, you know, part of his look was he had a little, you know, a little beard on his chin. And uh, they knew that I had a no, you know, no, no facial hair policy. Well, everybody complied. Well, a few of the seniors, including this guy, did not comply. So you're talking about, you know, a starting pitcher DH, starting first baseman three-hole hitter, starting right fielder five-hole hitter. I mean, you're talking about some major impact players. And I set them on the bench. And that was a hard decision to make, brand new to this team and coach. And, but I got challenged, and I didn't back down. And we had one game on that first day in the tournament. The next day we had two games. And guess what? Everybody except for my star was clean-shaven now. So guess what? They got to play. And my, my superstar was going to fight like hell and he refused and the plan was he was going to pitch on Saturday championship Saturday but he wasn't going to if he hadn't taken care of business and it got to the point where the team was not mad at me they never were mad at me they were furious with him because he was going to be different he was going to be an individual they even threatened to pin his ass down in the hotel Friday night and shave it but for whatever reason I guess he realized that I was serious because he didn't play on Saturday or Friday either on those two games. But he showed up and uh, showed up on Saturday, and he was clean-shaven. Now, he was late to breakfast Saturday morning. So guess what? He didn't start the first game on Saturday in the, in the uh, semifinals. He did get into the game. And my point in the whole thing is that I set a standard and I didn't back off it. And for the rest of the season, I never had a problem with him or anybody else on that team when it came to this kind of stuff. They just knew it. 
They knew I wasn't screwing around. They knew I was serious about it. They knew it was important to me, whether they cared about it or not. They knew that it's what they had to do to make sure that they played and get their opportunity and that I wasn't going to be pushed. I wasn't going to back it down, make an exception. Because as soon as you do, you're, it's over. You're done. Forget about that one. And maybe forget about all of them. So I'd love for you to really spend some time thinking about what do you want? What, what's your culture? Do you have what you want right now? And if you do, great. What are, is it that you're doing right now that is getting you what you want? But if you don't, if, you're not, if you don't have what you're looking for, what's missing? What's lacking? What is it that you want to change and have different? If you could make your wave that magic wand and tomorrow you've got that, you've got it. I mean, it like the, you show up to the field and it is exactly the way you dream it would be. What is that? Write it down. Make it important to you because then it'll become important to them. But that's what you're going to have to do. Okay? You know, and that's just one of the many things that we're talking about and going to be covering in the in you know in my two day seminar, the pitching coach playbook, and then on my online program of the pitching coach playbook. That you know the the culture and everything. It's just one of the many pieces. So I encourage you, you know, to check out a live event near you or or, or look at it for us online. And, and if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you check out some of the other ones, if you will, too. Be sure to share this with anybody you feel like might get some benefit from it as well. And I really appreciate you listening, and I'll see you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Pitching Secrets Podcast. If you want to learn more secrets to enhancing your pitching coach abilities and add to your playbooks, all while breaking free from the current status quo of today's coaching, then I want you to join me in my movement to becoming a pitching boss. To start, I'd like to give you a free three-day masterclass for pitching coaches. In this masterclass, we will take a deep dive together on arm care, creating your daily routine, and developing your pitching staff rotation. Go to bullpensecrets.com forward slash masterclass and sign up to get started today.